I refuse to feel the imposter syndrome that I know a lot of people do because I'm not, you know, the image of the outdoors. Every body is an outdoor body. I am the image of the outdoors. And so are you. You belong outside. Welcome back to Trail Correspondence presented by Trek. I'm your host, Zach Badger Davis. We're back at it today with this season's third edition of our wildcard episode. Instead of giving our hikers a specific prompt, they are given the freedom to report on whatever subject they find most pressing. We get some very moving entries in today's show, including an emotional take on what it feels like to lose your hiking partner in the midst of the journey. We hear all about hiker entitlement. We get a check-in from Ibex fresh off the Benton Mackay Trail and why she's no longer on the PCT and much more. I will shut up now and let our hikers do the talking. Here they are. Hey, this is Trash Panda coming at you from Manahawak land. Um, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, um, but I'm in what we call Virginia, just outside of Glasgow. Today we're doing a wild card, and I thought it would be interesting to talk about entitlement on trail. I'm not trying to be on a high horse for this. Like, I know I've had my moments where, like, you know, you show up to a shelter and it's full of people that aren't through hikers. And, you know, <laughs> you're a little peeved off. It's raining. They've set up their Coleman inside the shelter. They won't even acknowledge your presence. I've felt not great in those moments. I felt a little entitled to what I view as mine. But at the end of the day, it's not. I still think that there's, like, basic respect thing there. But that aside, I've been on trail for about three months now. And I've met a lot of really great people. Honestly, the majority of people out here, awesome. They're fantastic. Um, but there's a couple assholes. <laughs> um, and some of them I've met. Some of them, uh, you just you just see something that's like graffitied on trail, and you're like, wow, you're you're an absolute dickweed. Um, for example, yesterday we were hiking, and this section of trail, they've put up little placards every couple miles being like, if you call 911, tell them that you're in AT zone, like, well, or something like that, you know? And somebody, somebody decided to write on one of these placards and be like, hey, this is dumb. Like, EMS just needs to know, like, trail miles. First of all, no bur sobo, babe. Um, second of all, like an entitled piece of shit like i'm sure ems has maps if you give them trail miles they'll figure it out but this makes it easier for them okay they're trying to they're trying to save your ass also there's day hikers like shut up you didn't need to write on the sign with your stupid sharpie get over yourself there's been other instances where like we're in a hostel and 
somebody just feels entitled to everything, even though it's a shared space, like the TV. Like, three of us chilling in the hostel, watching Willy Wonka, and you are just here, shit-talking it, muttering about it, being just a total grump. Go away. <laughs> we were here first. It's not yours. Um, and then, like, sometimes in shelters, uh, <laughs> I've had a few instances where, like, somebody would be snoring, and there will be, like, one person absolutely fed up with it, and they'll just be, like, coughing and, like, banging on the floor and, like, going, like, oh, my God, you know, all night long. Uh, definitely being more of a disturbance than the, the person who's snoring. I mean, the thing is, like, it's a shelter. If you're sleeping in a shelter, you're not entitled to a good night's sleep. Like, bring a pair of headphones or earplugs, you know? Like, it's going to happen at one point or another. You're not going to sleep well. And that's, that's just the, that's just it, like, you know? Um, but I do find it really interesting. Like, even in the logs sometimes, or on, like, gut hooks comments, you'll hear about people that have texted trail angels and been like, hey, you need to, you need to resupply this, you know, trail cash, you know, this trail magic. Like, it's empty, or it doesn't have, like, the one thing that I want. And, like, your, your shit at your job. It's not a job. They're volunteering. They're going out of their way to do it. Like... It, it just bums me out because at the end of the day, like, that's what makes people not like hikers. Um, and I think, like, the majority of us are dirty and gross, but we're nice, usually. Like, I, I think that that's the majority of people on trail. But there's just a couple, a couple a-holes out there that are really... Just try to make sure that nobody ever wants to do anything nice for a hiker. Um, and it really sucks. Uh, so yeah, I guess just check yourself before you wreck yourself. Um, and the rest of us. And that's, that's my thoughts on that. Um, oh, also, like, in the last wildcard episode, I feel like it was Moss and Ibex. They were talking about their proof game. And I have made Flo start playing that with me. Um, yeah. That's it for now. Trash Panda, signing off. Bye! Hello, this is Be Positive taking over for M8. I'm currently in Tehachapi. We just finished a, a piece of the trail from, um, where were we? Perry Meadows South <laughs> to Tehachapi. And I'm here with uh, Chris, also known as Interlude, um, and with Yoda. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the fires because the fires have impacted Sobo hikers so much this year. We had a fire in Washington that was um, happened right after we passed through the trail. And then there was smoke in Washington and then a fire in Oregon. And we had to skip from Timberline to McKenzie Pass. And then we had smoke 
most of Oregon. And then we had a fire closure in Northern California. So we thought we were going to have to start in Sonora Pass, but right as we were about to get in at Sonora Pass, then there was the National uh, Forest fire closure as well. And so we've just been having fire issues the whole time. Um, so Chris, I, AKA interlude, how did the fire impact your hike this year? First of all, um, you, people don't realize the extent to what the fire steals from us. Um, in, as far as the number of miles that we get to take on our hike and then all the places that we don't get to see and we don't get to experience. But then the other thing is that because of the fires, it opens up new doors to new experiences and to new places. So during the fire, um, I hitchhiked from the border of Oregon down to Reno, and it was an incredible experience. I met a lot of people. I actually went through part of the fire closure in Lawson, and it was very black and smoky, and I saw a lot of the firefighters, just fire trucks coming and going. I also... Uh, during the forest closures, I hitchhiked from Yosemite back up to Washington. It took me eight days to do that. Met a lot of people on the way, a lot of incredible experiences as well. Um, so the fire and the smoke in general have chased us every step of the way, it seems. Um, but you, it's uh, part of the journey and it's part of the experience and it's part of the trail. I mean, so it's not like... Um, even though that things were stolen from us, um, it's still part of the experience. And so it makes up a part of the whole of the experience of the PCT this year and of any year, um, the fire and the smoke and the closures and the things that you have to go through. Mm -hmm. cool. yeah. yeah. Thanks, Chris. Uh -huh. um, Yoda, do you have any advice for people planning their PCT hike for future years? So we'll stick on the uh, topic of fires and just say that, um, yeah, I didn't, I think I knew that there was going to be fires, uh, but I didn't have a plan for that. And um, I think having a plan, if you're going to do the PCT next year, if you're going solo or even northbound, just uh, make like a little plan and, and try to be adaptive as possible. Um, it was very abrupt. Uh for most of us to get off trail, especially as we got down closer to the Sierra. Um, and, you know, it kind of put me in a down state of mood, just like getting off the trail. And I didn't have any of my friends at, with me at the time and stuff. So having a plan to stay somewhere or someone that can help you for a week or so, um, or even two, would uh, definitely be a, a good thing to do. Um, with that said, um, also, I just wanted to comment on the fire on how they affected us a little bit. And I'm just happy that, um, like, I'm not happy about the fires, of course, <laughs> but I'm happy that I'm here spending uh, time with uh, new PCT hikers that I didn't get to uh, uh, spend that much quality time with. So it's opened me up to new experiences and definitely new relationships as well. So it's been great. And that's that. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, this is Ibex, back from my thru-hike of the Benton Mackay Trail and just at home figuring what the heck am I doing with my life now. Um, but anyway, for this wild card episode, I just wanted to talk about the reason that we're not on the PCT 
and that is wildfires. Uh, Sorry to any West Coast folks listening. I'm sure you know all this already, but for me coming from the East Coast, I really didn't know that much about the situation with wildfires out West, apart from the fact that they're a normal part of the ecology out there and a good thing in some ways, but also as of late anyway, it seems that they're, it's getting to be a worse and worse situation out there. So when we started ex- really experiencing um, the effects of wildfire on the trail was in Oregon when we had to hike through days of smoke and also just these burn sections that felt like they would go on forever and you'd get up to this viewpoint and see nothing but charred forest as far as the eye could see. And I just remember thinking, like, this can't be normal. <laughs> this seems a little too big. Um And so I started downloading some podcasts and reading about it and looking into it. And it's actually just been a really interesting thing to learn about. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about what I've learned. So yeah, as I did know beforehand, wildfires are good in many ways. Their predominant sort of job is to break down debris in the forest and kind of clean up the forest, if you will. Here in the East, it's so uh, wet and humid that we have crazy overactive bacteria and fungi that will rot and decompose and break things down. And out West, they have that as well. But because of how dry it is, that's not as fast of a process. Um, So wildfires are really important to kind of break down this excess buildup of debris in the forest and then to re-inject nutrients into the forest in the form of ash. Uh, They're also really good as far as uh, pest control and for invasive species control. Maybe some invasives are coming from uh, a place that isn't as fire prone and they have not yet adapted ways to deal with fire. So when a wildfire comes through, it can kind of um, deal with an invasive species population before it really has a chance to take hold. Uh, They're also good for allowing new growth in the forest, both in terms of letting young plants get enough sunlight to thrive and also because some species actually need extreme heat for their seeds to be able to germinate. So without this cycle of fire in the western woods, they become very unhealthy. Now, for the bad, fires used to be actually more frequent than now, but less devastating. The term megafire is a recent, a relatively recent addition to the lexicon and refers to an extensively large and hot fire that destroys a large area. Fires now are able to burn hotter, spread farther, and last longer. So why is this? Well, uh, the main reason is back in the day, the forest experienced this normal cycle of fires. There were actually, as I said before, more fires going on out west throughout the summer months than there are now. But the big difference was that these fires were relatively small, short-lived, and not so hot. So what they would do essentially is burn through a stretch of forest and burn out all the underbrush, uh, the tree debris, and you know any fallen trees, and maybe some of the smaller saplings, but they would basically spare the larger, healthier trees and give the forest a nice cleaning out. Now, the indigenous people understood this and actually performed their own cultural burns where they would start controlled fires in areas that hadn't burned for a while to ensure that the forest got their fair share of fire treatment. 
But then the European colonizers came on the scene and ruined everything, as usual. They saw the indigenous folks in the woods starting fires and said, what the hell are these crazy savages doing? Uh, We can't have that. And they banned that practice along with all other native traditions in an attempt to stamp out all indigenous practices. Yay! Uh, And for hundreds of years, that's what we've done. We've practiced fire suppression, and boy, is that backfiring now. Backfiring, excuse the pun. Okay, anyway, so yeah, without this regular fire cycle, what ends up happening is there's an excess buildup of tinder in the forest, which creates way more fuel for fires. And then when a fire inevitably does break out, which it will, no matter how much we try to suppress, you know, be it from a lightning strike or some accidental human cause, The fire now has so much to eat, and it's able to grow way bigger, way faster. Another factor in this is logging. So another fun thing the colonists did out west, we logged. And what do you want when you log? You want the biggest, healthiest trees, of course, because they'll provide the most timber. So now those trees that normally would survive a forest fire, or at least a regular forest fire, not a mega fire, but um, those ones that would survive and maintain the forest as a whole and go on to bring about the next generation of trees, now those trees are gone. And when a fire starts, it can basically just rip through the whole forest that remains and take everything out. Fast forward to more recent, you get another factor, climate change, uh, which is causing longer summers, longer droughts, and hotter, drier weather. We really got to see that when we were hiking through Washington in June and experienced the hottest temperatures on record for that state in the month of June ever. Um, So yeah, that's not normal. You have these summers kind of starting earlier, hot temperatures happening earlier, and it just going on for longer and droughts going on for longer. So now you've got forests with this huge buildup of tinder, and they're just extra dry, just sitting there in the hot weather, ready to combust at a moment's notice. And when fire does break out, you know, who knows when it's going to rain and provide any kind of relief. Uh, And the final big factor is actually the human nature boundaries are dissolving, essentially. As populations expand, more and more people are moving out of cities. Houses and developments are cropping up right against and within wild spaces. And more and more people are going out into the forest to recreate, which should be okay, but only if they're made aware of the fire dangers and do not want to do anything stupid like have a campfire when there's a fire ban or set off fireworks in the forest. So today there's a statistic, it's something like 85 or 87% of wildfires actually have a human cause. It's not from like a lightning strike. Um, And you combine all these factors and yeah, it's not really a great outlook for the future. (laughs) And it's no wonder that we're seeing these crazy big mega fires that we are seeing. And uh, this year, the Dixie Fire in California, I think is actually the largest fire on record And it burned, are you ready for this, over 900,000 acres of land. My brain doesn't even know how to wrap itself around that number. It's crazy. I thought that the Eagle Creek fire was a big one. That's the one that was started up in Oregon at Eagle Creek by a kid with a firework. And that firework, by the way, was a smoke bomb, like a single solitary smoke bomb. That ended up burning 50,000 acres. And I thought that was big. (laughs) Yeah, 900,000. That was the Dixie fire. So yeah, it's um, it's no wonder that the trail closed down. Uh, there was just too much 
to deal with with all those northern fires this year. And uh, it's, I don't want to end on a bummer note, but it's not great. There's definitely, you know, more attention being paid to fire prevention now, like preventing beforehand, you know, so like doing more actual burns, not during summer months when they can get out of control, but during other times and actually paying attention to indigenous knowledge for once. Um, So there, you know, there's changes happening, uh, but... It's still, is it too little too late? I don't know. Being out there, it seemed like it. And I just really feel for the people who live out there and have to deal with really dangerous levels of smoke in their cities and towns every year and people whose livelihoods kind of depend on tourism and travelers out there. Like when we were going through Lake Tahoe, which is usually such a big tourist town, there was literally ash raining from the sky and the air quality index was 500, (laughs) which like, I mean, the place was a ghost town. There was nobody there. And that should have been like a real bumping summer month. And just meeting people with businesses out there and hearing how it's impacted them. It's just, you know, it's heartbreaking. But hopefully we will learn and move forward. And um, maybe there's hope. (laughs) I'm like trying to be optimistic. Anyway, that's it for now. Uh, That's my talk on wildfires. I hope you guys found some of it interesting and maybe learned something. And I'll talk to you next time when I say goodbye. Okay. Bye guys. What's up, The Trek? My name is Cal, and my pronouns are they, them, and I'm reporting to you from the CDT. And today, I want to talk about accessibility in the outdoors. Content warning, I will be describing an instance of sexual harassment and sexual assault that I experienced on trail. The outdoors is inaccessible to so many people for a myriad of reasons, and this has to change. I have personally experienced inaccessibility in the outdoors throughout my life, beginning with being raised in a lower income household in a very crowded metropolitan area where the outdoors, quote unquote, was both geographically and financially inaccessible. I think it's important to note that I did not become uh, active in the outdoor activities I do today until very recently when during my senior year of college, a friend who did have uh, the financial privilege and educational access to these activities took the time to take me on my first overnight backpacking trip, let me use her gear, and taught me everything I know about outdoor survival. Shortly after that first trip, I decided to commit to through hiking the Appalachian Trail. I worked really hard to save enough money to purchase my own gear. And even though I was able to do that and overcome the financial barriers to an activity outdoors, such as backpacking, what I did not anticipate was the gender-based oppression that I would face during my 2018 through-hike attempt of the AT. In 2018, Uh, While I was through hiking the AT, I experienced numerous instances of sexism, sexual harassment, and a very traumatic incident of sexual assault uh, with another hiker that ultimately led me to have to uh, get off trail 
and end my 2018 attempt um, due to the danger that I was in. As much as I would like to think that my experience with, uh, you know, sexism, gender-based oppression, and sexual assault on trail was rare or unique, I know that unfortunately it's not. These structures and these systems of oppression um, that exist in our society are reflected in outdoor spaces making experiences like mine extremely common and some of the main reasons that a lot of people feel that outdoor spaces are inaccessible or just literally unsafe. There were too many people that this experience resonated with or decided not to go outside for fear of experiencing something similar. And this has to change. Part of the reason that I wanted to be a correspondent on this podcast is because I am a queer, trans, non-binary, what we call an unlikely hiker, so that I can tell these stories. And even though they are uncomfortable, they're all too common. And I have the opportunity to provide inspiration for change because there is so much change that is already happening. The culture of the outdoors is already shifting. And the only question is, what role will you play in making the outdoors more accessible? Will you be a part of this change? Because in 2019, I went back and I completed my through hike of the Appalachian Trail. But it was only because of the people, the other unlikely hikers, who had the courage to come forth and support me because they related. I finished the AT for myself, but also for all of them and for all of you. I refuse to feel the imposter syndrome that I know a lot of people do because I'm not, you know, the image of the outdoors. I'm not your average affluent Patagonia, you know, white cis climbing bro. I am the image of the outdoors. And so are you. You belong outside. Every body is an outdoor body. And the possibilities for connecting to our natural and social environments and connecting to each other and the earth in loving, healing, restorative ways are endless. If the outdoors feels inaccessible or scary or is literally inaccessible to you, you are not alone. There are lots of ways to connect to, um, you know, other people breaking into these spaces, affinity groups. There are lots of ways to break, um, to, to overcome the financial barriers to participating in any outdoor activity. I'm always happy to be a resource and um, provide resources, provide a list of, you know, places you can reach out to um, and ways to connect with people that make the outdoors feel like home instead of feeling intimidating. If you are someone who has the skills and the privilege and the resources of having outdoor knowledge and feeling safe in these spaces, pay it forward share it. I am here through hiking the Continental Divide Trail because one person 
took the time to teach me how to backpack and teach me how to feel safe and protect myself in these spaces. So if we all work together, we can shift the culture of the outdoors and dismantle the systems of oppression that we reproduce in these spaces and make it a more loving and healing and fun environment for everyone. This is not Rooster on the CDT. This is Woodchuck on the CDT. Um, I am actually off the CDT. I am in New York at our new apartment and there is currently construction going on outside. So please bear with me. Um, I figure there's no wilder way to do a wildcard episode than to do a complete takeover of Rooster's podcast segment. So something that I've been thinking and talking about a lot um, I was doing this uh, throughout the trail, but especially towards the end of trail and when we finished um, is talking about trail angels and just the idea that the trail provides. So on the trail, it seems like there's human beings that'll just show up. Um, the timing's always fortuitous and they're just there to hike, help hikers out. And uh, this, you know, it, it includes everything from trail magic, um, getting a, a hitch into town, having someone hand you water, um, or a beer even on a road walk. And, uh, I just can't help but feel proud, not just of my accomplishment, but proud that there's, that a through hike is such an adventure and it's so much more than just a solo endeavor as some people, um, see it. So I'm proud of what I'm able to do because I have this, a team really of people support, um, along the way. And there are people that, you know, of course I didn't know before hiking the trail and that I never would have met had I not hiked the trail. So I've recently returned to New York, um, and we completed it a lot faster than initially planned, but I've come to realize that as I do life after trail, I start to realize that being back after a through hike is very similar to difficult periods of loss in my life and that the trail can still and does still provide um, even after the trail is over. So even if you've never hiked at all, actually, and, you know, there's sure there's many people specifically out to assist hikers, but my bet is that there are also those kinds of people that exist in large cities and small communities and people really do show up when you open yourself up to being helped as we do as hikers or when you're being your authentic self, which is, you know, what we are doing as through hikers. And that's whether you're at a road crossing in the middle of nowhere or at a grocery store. So we might not even realize it off trail, but since this will be coming out once most people are finished their through hikes, um, I just kind of want to encourage everyone to remain open to receiving everything that the trail provides, even as you battle the loss of uh, sunlight <laughs> with the early, early darkness, um, the constant indoors controlled temperature rooms, the lack of adventure, the holidays. Um, but most importantly, and this is kind of where I was going with this the whole time and reflecting back on the trail, thinking about how much the smaller, larger acts of generosity have inspired you um, and me. Let's begin to 
think about how we can become trail angels in our everyday lives and how we can provide and give back. Um, and second, um, I kind of, this follows up with the first thing. I think that it's really important that if we do have the contacts of all of our trail angels and all of the people who have helped us along the way to reach out to them and just to let them know what they did for you on your journey and how much it helped. Um, and with that, on the CDT alone, um, shout out to the AT and PCT trail angels as well. But just on the CDT, I just wanted to thank a few trail angels that have helped us so much um, in accomplishing our goal this year. And so thank you, Hannah and Brad. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Solo, Erin's family, Philippides and Meredith, Coco, Soulshine, Mama Soulshine and Dave. And of course, everyone that I'm forgetting, I apologize. Um, I love you all. And this is Woodchuck signing off. Hey, everybody, this is Link checking in from the Continental Divide Trail. It is currently day 97 for me, and I am in Chama, New Mexico. It's a big milestone that will happen a little bit later today. Honestly, I'm going to cross the border into New Mexico, and it's October 6th. I feel like I am just hitting my my timing just barely for beating the winter and the fall winter through the state of Colorado. And whoa, I did get snowed on a couple or last week, a couple inches and I was walking through a snowstorm for a while. And I'm, I'm getting really, I mean, I'm looking forward to being in New Mexico. Hopefully it's, you know, I looked up the weather. It's supposed to be sunny and bright for the month of October. So I hope that's true. Um, but anyways, today is a wild card episode and it really has been a kind of a wild last couple of weeks for me on the trail. Um, I started this year on the Appalachian Trail and the Continental Divide Trail with my partner. Uh, her trail name is Smiles and she's been on the on the podcast a few times, but um, in the last month, really, she got an opportunity to take a job at the organization that we both worked for before we started walking um, called Outward Bound. And she decided to take the job. And so it was kind of this big situation and moment and, um, I don't know, very emotional moment together where we had to decide that it w was the best choice for her to get off the trail. Um, for her to pause her hike and we'll have to come back again sometime. Um, but yeah, it was really just kind of out of nowhere, you know, very like wild moment where I was like, okay, I think her hike is over. And, you know, it was a lot, it was a lot for us as a couple to, to work through a lot of, a lot of emotions, a lot of like, honestly, a lot of like tears on top of, mountain passes in Colorado, a lot of just, yeah, just hard to make that decision together. You know, I think we had, we had walked almost 4,000 miles this year together, maybe a little bit over actually. 
and we just come so far, you know, it's like four fifths of the way of completing this goal that we, we decided we were going to pursue. And it was a pretty sad moment to realize it, it might've just been time, you know, the universe just put this opportunity in front of her. And I think it would have been a bad idea to not take the opportunity to have this job for something that's like post trail for both of us. And so we did a lot of reflection, a lot of things. And before she officially got off the trail, we did some um, reflecting on like what we learned together and, you know, what we're going to take away from the hike, things like living simply and knowing that like we're both stronger than we think we are. And I think collectively we both just feel so much closer together after doing something like this for this long as a couple. Um, we persevered through a lot of things, weather, emotions, arguments, like really anything you can, you can think of in like a relationship was amplified on the trail the last, I don't know, seven months basically. And so she got off the trail in Salida, Colorado, and then she rented a car. Um, and she actually has been supporting me this last week um, all the way to Chama. And she just drove away this morning to um, get herself into a spot where she can successfully start her, her new job. Um, something a little bit more uh, stable, you know, and consistent. But yeah, now that just leaves me just finishing this trail solo. And at this point, everyone is pretty spread out. And I've seen a couple hikers every few days, um, but I'm not exactly sure how it's going to go. You know, we, Smiles and I have done literally all of our through hiking together. We did the TRO Trail in New Zealand all the way like Colorado Trail, the Hayduke Trail, the Wind River High Route, the Appalachian Trail, most of the Continental Divide Trail. And it's just a big new experience for me to be hiking alone. And so to carry on her spirit, I am carrying her backpack. Um, and, you know, she signed the inside, which is kind of exciting and fun. And I'm just trying to carry a little bit of her spirit to the end. And so, I don't know, that's like an interesting and a little bit sad wild card, but it really was a wild card. I don't think any of us expected it to be, you know, this thing would cause us to end the trail early. Um, but I am continuing on and hoping to finish the trail for both of us. And I'm going to be in New Mexico and I think I'm in the triple digits of miles. I think I have under 1000 miles to go for my 5,000 plus mile year. So anyways, that is the wild card for me. Very curveball moments for me in the last thousand miles of the trail. But here we go. I'm going to keep on hiking and keep on pushing forward to the boot heel of New Mexico. All right, y'all. Hope you're having a good day and I'll talk to you next time. Bye. And that's it for today's show. If you're enjoying Trail Correspondence, we would be very grateful for your review on Apple Podcasts. This goes a long ways to helping others learn about the show. You can keep up with our hikers through our social media accounts on both Facebook and Instagram. 
Similarly, the best way to ensure you don't miss future episodes is to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and or all the other usual suspects. This season's episodes are edited by our guy, David Zitney, who can be found at dzitneyaudio on Instagram. Okay, that's it for today's show. Until next time, thanks for listening and happy hiking. Happy hiking.